ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 134. Today, we continue our Women in Money series with Facebook ad and conversion optimization expert, Claire Paletreau. So why do we want to talk to a Facebook ad strategist for this series? Well, besides being a woman who runs a six-figure business, she loves to talk all things money. And she does this on her weekly podcast, The Get Paid Podcast, where she interviews entrepreneurs about their business's revenue, the expenses, their pricing, and she treads into the most taboo of subjects, what do they pay themselves? You wouldn't have access to this insider information unless perhaps you knew these people personally and had the gall to ask the questions, what are your sales and what do you take home? It's honest, it's real, it's raw, it's fascinating. It's one of our go-to podcasts every single week. And when she's not podcasting, Claire spends her days brainstorming ad strategies with her students, training a future generation of professional ad managers, and overseeing several thousands of dollars in client ad spend. She specializes in running ads that sell online courses, but will happily geek out with you on ways to scale every kind of business with paid traffic. Let's listen now to our conversation with the amazing Claire Pelletro. So welcome, Claire, to our podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here. Okay. So Claire is this phenomenal Facebook ads expert and stellar online business owner. And the most remarkable thing that's relative to this series is that Claire has a podcast called the Get Paid Podcast, where she actually asks really hard, very personal questions to business owners about how much money they actually make and how they make their money. And so I thought it would be so powerful to have you on to our Women in Money series because you have this insight into other people's businesses that no one else really has. And you have this ability to ask these hard questions. So we wanted to bring you on to ask you about your own money story, but also to ask you about your experience talking to so many other people about how they make their money and how much money they make. You know, I think it's really funny how pretty much as soon as somebody starts saying nice things about a a woman, they start going in their head, no, no, but that's not true. That's not true. I could ask so many more questions to these people. And now you're like, oh, now I have to. <laughs> it's strange. I feel like I only barely scratch the surface with my podcast, but I also understand that no one else is asking these questions. 
like how much do you pay yourselves? I mean, would you two come on a podcast and talk about that openly? Uh, I don't know. I would, but I think Jenny would be the one who... I'm so private. I mean, it is a painful experience for me to even put a picture of myself on Instagram. Like that's hard for me. And so it's more just privacy. So, I mean, it's not just about the money, but it's like, do I want to come and talk about anything that deeply personal online? I mean, this podcast is an exercise in personal growth and development for me as it is. Oh, okay. So it's not just, it's not like you're super open about everything, but not money because there are those people. No, 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 not. I just, I like to have some things private. I mean, I think I just like my Instagram, my personal Instagram is locked. You know, Mm. like I don't let, I'm just, it started to get a little out of hand when we first were building the company. And I was like, oh, I don't want people seeing pictures of my child. You know, like Mm. it made me really upset. It's something I wrestle with. So there's just, it's locked down. (laughs) Okay. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or like a choice that people should not feel good that they made. But are you showing up? This is basically me putting on my Brooke Castillo hat. (laughs) Are you showing up in other ways that aren't like your personal Instagram? Yeah, yeah. as a thought leader, right? Like I think that I am totally comfortable and this is going to be about you. So we're going (laughs) to... She's she's taking control here is what she's I am... (laughs) 100% comfortable being on a stage doing what I do professionally and showing up very publicly with my expertise. And I don't feel like I need to do that with my personal life. So it just depends. I think a lot of people are like that, like an introverted leader, right? Like that's mm. like the stereotypical introverted leader. Anyway, Got it. back to you, Claire. <laughs> so clearly there are lots of mindset issues that we could dive into about the way that women think about themselves and their authority and their ability to take compliments. But that's not what this episode is about. We want to hear from you. Let's start at the beginning. So when did you start your business? And then I want to I want folks to learn about that. And then I want to ask about your money story after that. Okay, sure. So I unofficially started freelancing as a Facebook ad manager, somebody who ran ads for other people. In the fall of 2013, I was working in another business, an info product business, a fairly well-known one, and running their ads. That was one of my, my tasks. So just in some conversations I was having, people started asking me if I would do it for them. So I did. And then at the very beginning of 2014, I launched a blog. I started with an opt-in. Like I kind of had already learned how to do all that. So that was January of 2014. In May of that year, I was fired rather surprisingly. But in the end, like it just made perfect sense both for that business and for me, of course, best, worst day of my life. And that's where I just, I think I spent five minutes thinking about getting a real job. And then I was like, no, I already have this side hustle. I'm just going to go all in. So yeah, that was May, 2014. And I started the podcast about a year later because in that like hustle of how do I get clients now that I don't have a steady paycheck? I was looking on Google primarily, how do you get clients? And I just wasn't finding any information about mostly how people got started And so I had this idea for a podcast at the time called the Pay Your Rent Podcast because that's all I needed to know, enough so that I could get just enough revenue to pay my rent. And then a year later, I decided to make it happen. But instead of focusing just on how did you get started, which is really where a lot of my interviews centered around in the beginning because I was still more or less just starting, I really wanted to figure out 
how are people making money? What are their business models? What are the prices of their coaching packages or services that they're offering? How do they market them? How much are they spending on an actual launch to get the, you know, the six-figure launch or things like that? Because it was all being like talked about on social media or in emails, how we made X amount of money, but nobody was saying how much they spent to make it. And so I got a few brave souls to come on the show and that's how it got started. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Was it hard to get those initial people since you were sort of an unproven podcast at the time? Were people reluctant to come on and talk about money? You know, not in my first handful of guests, I would say 10, maybe up to the first 10, because like I had made enough connections Right before I started, I went to this conference where I I met a lot of people who were all like, yes, you should do this. And I was like, fine, will you be on the show though? Mm -hmm. And they said, yes, like in person. That was helpful. Um, But no, I mean, I didn't ask a lot of people that I didn't know. That was sort of the thing. And that, I would say, resulted in a podcast that was extremely white which was bad, but otherwise pretty good conversations because I didn't feel uncomfortable in my interviews, right? They were all people I had an existing relationship with. Did you not feel comfortable simply because you knew them or because you were comfortable talking about money? Oh, I was never really comfortable talking about money. Right. So that's interesting. I just want to know about the asking someone, like, what do you get paid? Like, did you start with that question from the beginning or did you move into that? And how hard was that to do to bring up that conversation? I started. I started with one, how do you get paid? So that people could really hear the business model. And then two, like how much? But every time it came to that part of the interview, and sometimes it would be getting close to the end. And I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't asked this question yet. I would get really nervous. I still get nervous. Why? Why the nerves? Because I think that deep down, most people don't want to talk about this even when they have agreed to come on the show. And I think I have internalized something that like people just don't want to talk about it, even if they've agreed to be on the show. Like this is the one question that they'd wish, Claire, you wouldn't ask, but they're here anyway. That I think was a a story I was telling myself. There have been some people who have come on so excited to be transparent. It's been much easier to ask them those questions. But most of my episodes... As listeners, you might know this. They start with, I'm really nervous, says the guest. Right. Yeah, so many. But doesn't that just speak to the importance or the impact of the work that people are nervous? Yes, it definitely does. And you interview mostly women. Mm -hmm. And have you found, though, that there is a disparity in gender when you ask the question to a man versus a woman in terms of the nervousness or the lead up to that question? I think I am more nervous asking a man. Are you? I would say, yeah. I would say I have gotten, I have let guests get away with not talking about money. And it's been because I've been too afraid to ask sometimes. There are definitely shows where it wasn't like Claire had a a mandate saying she couldn't ask these questions, but I didn't ask them anyway. And what were you afraid of if you asked that? What's the fallout? that they wouldn't want to answer. They would be uncomfortable. I would be the person making them uncomfortable and therefore they wouldn't like me. Right. Interesting. I want to say about your podcast that the listening to your guests 
And I really truly think that your guests are honest. Like I, I always think like, are they exaggerating to sound better? Are they, you know, do they exaggerate the results at all? And I don't think they do. And I'd love your input on that. But the information that they share has made me feel so much better about the way that Jenny and I are working and and where we are in our business. Like sometimes if you just look at social, you feel so far behind everyone that you're not doing as well. Uh, that whole comparison syndrome and your podcast makes me feel so good about myself and our business. Can you give an example of like what specifically you heard that maybe made you go? Well, I think it's just some of the people that I know of, like have heard, follow, you know, sometimes I may have joined their program and I think that they're doing so well. They must all be million dollar businesses because they're so well known. And then you interview them and I'm like, huh, we're doing better than them. Isn't that interesting? Or, you know, they're not as success, not not to, to say that success is just simply monetary, but, you know, I would have thought they made more money. And if I'm not judging them, it just is like, hmm. Excellent. We are doing great. So the comparison for me is just so reassuring and makes me so happy. Like I can just judge myself, you know, against the other companies. And I love that. I love your podcast for that. Can I add, because we talk about your podcast a lot, Claire, I think also seeing the journey of how long it takes someone to get us a certain level Mm. is so helpful to see because we usually only see the metrics. If we do know how much money a business is making, we just learn that they're making that much money, but we don't get to see the journey of what it took and how long it took to get there. And I think we've been in business around the same amount of time. And to me, like there, there's like the first few years that I'm like, Mm. you know, you're just sort of like a toddler business, right? And then you get to, you have these inflection points where it's like, oh, wow, I wish I knew that it was going to take this long. And if I just stuck with it, it would happen. And it did. And it does. And most people never make it to that stage. And so I think also your show helps to like, you really see like, wow, all the people that we believe to be successful have really been doing this a long time. And even Brooke Castillo's episode, which we'll link to in the show notes, because I think it was profoundly moving for a lot of people on the planet um, and continues to be. I think that even that episode to see how long she's been doing that to get to the mm. point where she's whatever, $17 million a year. I think it's so easy to just see a snapshot into someone's business and then to just be like, oh, well, that's not me. But to hear how many years she's been at it to get to that point, I'm like, oh, okay. So when I'm this many years in, I can expect that that's a reasonable place to be. Yeah. I think that what happens is we'll see somebody start to appear everywhere because they've gone past one of those inflection points, right? But we feel like they've come out of nowhere. Yep. But the truth of the matter is the internet is just so big. We have no idea. You know, I can't name that many businesses as big as Brooke, but they're out there, right. you know, and, and they're all doing their own things, whatever they are. I would, you know, like to talk to you on the podcast. And the other crazy thing that I've noticed, I had one person on the podcast talk about this, but I really would like to have more of them, which is that over the years, the revenue trajectory is not always a steady incline. There are dips. People will reach a big milestone and then they're desperate to try to replicate that because they feel that they have to and they're not. 
for a variety of reasons. Because you think that once they're there, they're, they're there. You made it. You got your million dollar business. Nothing can go wrong, right? And your stories that you uncover are like, my husband was mentally ill for a year and it impacted us, right? Mm-hmm. Or I didn't like that business model. I need to change. And then they start almost from zero and build up again. And that is like, again, for me, it's like, oh, okay, people are struggling. And not that I want them to struggle, but it's like, we're all in it. It's There's no magic wand where we we breach it and we're done. Like there's always a struggle to grow. And so I think it's like therapy for me to listen to your podcast. Like it normalizes everything or something. Wow. That's going in some ad copy right there. No, I'm not joking. No, but it's, it's totally true. And I'm, I just keep being like, when is Claire going to interview more SaaS companies? Like mm-hmm. I want to hear, I want to hear the SaaS interviews. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's probably not your audience, but like, I'm like desperate, like interview the SaaS founders. <laughs> yeah. I totally thought that like, I have some interviews from earlier seasons where it's not quite SaaS. It's the fizzle guys, which is membership. And then Nathan Barry, but this stuff is like back when yeah. ConvertKit was like super small, yeah, I've thought about having asking him to come back on. But um, yeah, I will say that my guest selection, it sometimes bores me because it's like it's the same business model over and over again. Mm-hmm. But what I'm noticing is that everyone has really different stories and lessons, yeah. things they can teach me and therefore my listeners. But I had some some SaaS people on and what's one of my like not so downloaded episodes. Yeah. Well, we listened that, to That me. like broke my heart for them, but whatever, you know, like that's just the- It's just, I mean, we're just like our own little, <laughs> we're our own little world. business model. I think our own little world that most people can't relate to. But anyway, we, we also love all your other shows because we are hybrid, right? We're both, we do courses and right. essentially a membership. Okay, so- I want to take this back to you though, Claire. So you came into entrepreneurship, it sounds like a little bit just happenstance. What was your story and relationship to money growing up? And what did you want to be when you grew up? Like when you were in high school, what did you think you were going to do? So until I was about 16 years old, I thought I was going to be a professional ballet dancer. Oh, wow. I trained for 10 years. I wasn't planning on going to college that was going to be it until like one summer I was in a very intense dance camp and it just literally hit me like, oh, you know, this isn't going to happen. You're not good enough. That's not a a mind game thing. That's a real, like, you're just not good enough. So then, gosh, I think I was very undecided for a long time. I just sort of assumed I would end up in like social work or things like that, but never, ever, did it occur to me that I should seek some kind of career that would make a good living? Like no one in my family did. They were all social workers or teachers. We were like a a regular middle-class family, but there was definitely talk about, you know, you don't spend money on extravagant things or luxury things, you know, it's just, it's just not done. And I thought that was fine, like a fine way to live my life. So at the age of 23, I kind of ran away to Argentina. (laughs) And that was me just trying to avoid the real world, to be perfectly honest with you. But then I also go to this country that has this unstable currency. And 
I start working as an English teacher and then I start dabbling in other things, but I also have a student loan, like literally, you know, hanging over my shoulders, not literally hanging over my shoulders. Like I remember this one time I was backpacking around Argentina by myself and my dad was getting calls from a collections agency. It was like way to ruin a vacation, but yeah, it was always about just having enough to get by, but so I met my husband and he had a startup and I got into the the world of startups. It's a SaaS company actually. And I was doing marketing for him and I was seeing, you know, basically all the talk there was about getting funding, not even revenue, but it did start to open my eyes to like, okay, you know, being your own boss does not mean living in poverty. Like I essentially was when I was an English teacher. And then I discovered the world of online business where you didn't have to be a technical founder writing all this code. That's because that's what I thought business was for a long time. You had to create an app of some kind and then, you know, get a lot of users and get funding and then maybe make some money. But when I discovered the world of information products, I was like, oh, that's how I can be self-employed. And I discovered this while I was at my old job, right? But I still never, ever thought, like the idea of six figures just sounded amazing. And that was my goal for a long time. But when I discovered money mindset work, that people actually had mindsets about money instead of just having the money, that was a really important eye-opening experience. When when was that and how did you learn about that? It was the year I was fired, (laughs) earlier that year. The company I was working for was doing a promotion with Denise Duffield Thomas. And I discovered her audiobook, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. That book changed my life, Hmm. partially because I actually manifested getting fired. Like the day before I said, I wish she would just fire me. And then I got on this call, which I did not expect to get fired. And I did. But that like this idea that we have these, you know, money blocks, which I still am trying to figure out exactly what they are, but that a lot of times, you know, success can actually be tied to mindset and not just your actions. That was who I learned it from in, in that book. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. So what is your money mindset today? I want to know in your business, like what do you want? What, what kind of revenue goals are you looking at today? Like how much money do you want to make? So my current goal is, is actually an income, like a take-home pay goal and not revenue. I paid myself for the past two years in a row, I paid myself $100,000 and I thought that was awesome. Because I learned, you know, once you hit six figures, that does not mean, you know, you're paying yourself six figures. So these past two years, I've lived a lifestyle that I never dreamed of. And it's not extravagant, but it is for me, right? Like ordering appetizers, not even looking at the prices of things when I go out. Like, sure, then I have to turn around and go, oh, shoot, we should be budgeting for this extra car that we want. And we're not, we're spending that money on apps. But yeah, like it's a different, it's a different lifestyle. Now my goal is 200,000. 
to pay myself. I should say, okay, well, what does that mean for the business? How much does that have to bring in? And what about team? Like, I'm kind of just getting to that point of hiring and really bringing on more full-time help and things like that. So these are all still grown-up business, in air quotes, questions that I have yet to, I've maybe asked myself, but I'm like, oh, I won't answer yet. I don't need to know the answer. Do you think at this point, do you think you're undercharging? Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We joined your program and we were like, she needs to charge more. Which one? Uh, uh, the ad consultant incubator? Yeah. Right, Jenny? Yeah. Well, I think we have everything actually. Right. Whatever but Claire's I, selling, we bought. Right. <laughs> but no, but I'm was, talking about the incubator. Yeah. And you know what? That used to be a higher price. But my goal for that, I mean, and this came straight from my conversation with Brooke on the podcast was scaling that to size. And this, I mean, this is a really important money mindset issue, but what I was doing when it was this $5,000 price for like three months of a group coaching program, I felt like I had to give them my firstborn. Mm -hmm. Like I was in that Facebook group all day answering questions, making sure everyone had everything they needed to be successful. And guess what? They weren't all successful because, you know, you can't. Yeah, you, you can't. No, that's, I mean, that's like lesson number one, I think, of a group program or a course, right? Is that like you are not responsible for someone else's outcome. Once you've proven that transformation from your product or program is possible, you have to remove your responsibility for whether or not someone finds success. Well, it took me many years to learn that, even <laughs> though I've been running that program for a long time. You know, I for so long was associating price with access to me. Mm -hmm. So... I did bring down the price almost as like a, okay, Claire, you need to figure out how to sell this thing. Oh, because I was also giving people test clients. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to go out and get their own clients. And so I took that out. I decided, okay, I need to lower this, the price of this thing. It's probably going to go back up. Like I, I do now see that people are having tremendous success and I'm really not the course babysitter like I used to be. It's such a relief to be able to run this program and realize they really didn't need that kind of handholding. But I want to get it on Evergreen at this price and see what happens because I'm very aware of the fact that for a business to really scale to a million dollars, you need to use ads. And if your funnel or your offerings or whatever, it doesn't convert with ads at the price point that you think. And that sometimes maybe means going up or going down in terms of price. But I want to try that and then see what happens. I'm all about using ads. If you haven't figured out, I, <laughs> that's all I do same, all day long. Same. Hashtag same. Okay. So Claire, I want to know, since you've found this level of success in your business and in terms of paying yourself, how has your family reacted? And how has your community, like your non-online community reacted to that? Mm, yeah. So fortunately, my husband is also an entrepreneur with a lot of ambition and he's been almost like kind of growing right alongside me. That's been fantastic. I find that I keep it from my family. Mm -hmm. My friends, I also only have one kid and some of these friends of mine have, you know, more kids in their family. So things like school and whatnot, they have different expenses, but I definitely notice myself trying, like I'll say, let's do this, let's do that. And money is an issue for some friends. The way it used to be for me, that's what kills me. Like, I just want to be like, hey, let me just pay for this or whatever. And we do, I think, um, and this comes from my husband and his insane generosity that we just invite people out to eat all the time, which is something I just could never do before. I haven't gotten any overtly negative feedback about it, but I think I am kind of 
subconsciously scared of that. So I try not to quote unquote flaunt it. Still at a hundred thousand dollars a year, like that's not flaunting type of money, you know? <laughs> no, but to have built a, a company though that's significantly bigger than that and that's growing. I mean, I, I think that there's also an identity, not just about what your take home paycheck is, that there's an identity as an entrepreneur and as someone that's finding growing success and that is maybe doing something that regular people don't understand. I still call like offline people regular people, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we live in this weird subculture where most of the world has no idea. It's like the muggles. It's like they're muggles. Yes. Parallel universe, right? So I think that most people in my regular world life have no ability to understand this world that we all live in together. Mm -hmm. So they just like think like, oh, it's something. I mean, I think now, a little bit now, people are starting to be like, oh, like five years later, you're still doing that? Like something must be going on with that. You know, is that like a thing? That's a really interesting point. About three years ago, I kind of renewed my social circle because we moved from Argentina back to Philadelphia where I was born and raised. So those friends from before the move, they know that I work for myself. But now I would say that because these new friendships have sort of started in more growth periods of my business, we can actually talk about it. And some of them, they follow me on Instagram and they, they read my newsletter. So they're asking me things. Mm-hmm. I can definitely get that sense of wish I had something like that, but I definitely don't have the drive to start something from scratch and go through the uncertainty. But like I put out a job posting and I shared it on my personal Facebook looking for, you know, people's friends, like who can you recommend? And I noticed a bunch of my friends messaged me about the job and I was like, oh no, no, I have a, you know, a strict rule, but like they want that flexible work from home life. And I think that flexibility and the work from home thing is the one thing that people are like, I wish I had that part of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's also showing other women, like the moms at your child's school, for example, what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like these conversations are so important to show what's possible because the world has changed so drastically from even 10, 15 years ago. There's so many different ways to work and I just think people don't necessarily, if they're not immersed in this online culture, they just don't see it. So I think it's part of our duty to just talk about it with our friends and family and, you know, that the muggles out there, um, just give them some idea what's, what the options are because they don't know. Jenny doesn't know what muggles are, do you? I figured it out. <laughs> in a reference to Harry Potter. <laughs> I have enough. I can like win at Trivial Pursuit. Enough <laughs> culture to win at a game without really knowing how it works. You know, in addition to like another way to work, it's also another way to show up as a parent and a partner too. People will see that I travel. They say, oh, you and Ernesto, my husband's name is Ernesto. You two both travel a lot separately. We kind of love going to conferences, but they can't fathom leaving their kids to go do that because they're the primary parent. Mm -hmm. They can't fathom their partner being like supportive enough to let them, if you will, or, you know, support them as they go off and travel for work or something. And they also can't fathom the supporting, the way I support my husband when he does go and work and go to conferences and present workshops and things like that. Of course, you know, I'm bitching about it, but it's an important like give and take. And so it's this give and take in terms of the partnership as parents and in business, even though we're not in the same business that I think people have been really surprised by. 
Okay. So Claire, I want to know if there's something that surprised you most about the interviews that you've had in your podcast about money. Is there, is there something that has shifted in you because of this? Is there like one kind of golden nugget of wisdom that you've been able to tease out of this experience of having these conversations with so many people? I would be lying if I said that I came up with this takeaway. My husband actually did because I was speaking about this at an event because everything I came up with about, you know, what are the main takeaways of talking to all these people about money is, okay, most of these people have teams. The people who are making, you know, tons and tons of money, they're not doing it alone. But he actually put a different spin on that. And it's not terribly surprising, but it's something we don't always talk about. He said, they're not doing it alone in the sense that all of them have networks they have business BFFs, they have their mastermind groups, and people that they do partnerships with. So in that sense, they always have their people who are not necessarily their team members or their customers or clients, but they do have that Voxer thread or you know Slack channel or Facebook group where they're really like kind of spilling their guts and getting honest feedback. And I thought that was, that was really true. That's really been true for me because from those networks come other opportunities, not just like insight or advice, but opportunities especially. And they're the kinds of opportunities we all wish we had more of. But the organizer of a conference doesn't necessarily just listen to my podcast and then invite me to speak, much to my chagrin. <laughs> but they're friends, they're talking about organizing their conference and their friend says, oh, well, I listened to this podcast or I was at an event where this person did a workshop and those opportunities start to arise more. It's just like the trust. The trust is so much. The word of mouth referral is just all about trust and that relationship that you have, you have developed. So yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. I've always been in the room where it happens. Exactly. And we've been in that room together. And yeah, you know, like, I remember those yeah. conversations being so important. I always wanted the answer from my guests about like how they're making so much money. I always want the answer to be automation. I want to be able to automate <laughs> everything. I mean, I'm a big believer in paying for things with automation or which means money usually than paying with your time. But it's usually the referrals. <laughs> You're like, oh, please be automation. Please be automation. Then the answer is like, I got on the phone call and I talked to 25 people. Yes. Started. For free. Yeah, for I mean, free. I, I literally have two guests with very different businesses who both started the exact same way. And I'm like, come on. But, <laughs> you know, it's great. It's really great advice for people who are just starting out. Just talk to as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked to more than 70 yoga studio owners to start Namastream. Right? Wow. Just every nap time when my kid was one, every day, every morning, going to the coffee shop as soon as it opened before my husband went to work. I mean, it was just like, it's, it's always that. It's always a version of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I would encourage all of our listeners to go ahead and tune into your podcast. We'll, of course, link to it in the show notes just because it's so illuminating to hear these stories that aren't talked about. And what we're trying to do with this series in our show is to start to uncover some of our own money stories and money blocks and also to start to talk about the relationship in particular that women and women business owners have with money. So thank you, Claire, for that. My pleasure. All right. We are going to run you through Proust's questionnaire. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you're going to give me the first answer that pops into your head. Okay. So Claire, what is your idea of perfect happiness? A beach. What is your greatest fear? 
being found out as a fraud. Which living person do you most admire? I think I immediately thought of somebody dead. Father or something. This question is difficult. Can we move on? <laughs> sure. What is your greatest extravagance? Ooh, prosecco. Oh, which words or phrases do you most overuse? Ridiculously and literally. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I would like to be able to go back to eating gluten. <laughs> what is your most treasured possession? My kiddo. What is your favorite rock band? Rock. Mm. Or band or musician. Yeah. Right now, I'm just all about Beyonce. And what are you reading right now? Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, I'd like to see. book is so much better than the movie. Yeah. I mean, I love the movie, but man, the book is good. Aha. Uh-huh. That's good to know. Okay. And then we end every episode, Claire, with a joy and a hustle. So if you can share a resource that brings you joy and a tool to help our listeners hustle. Sure. So the joy is this podcast called Show Your Work. And it's really all the behind the scenes kind of stuff that, you know, like we're actually talking about with business, but instead it's all about the entertainment industry. So film, TV, music, it's phenomenal. These two wonderful Canadians out of Toronto, I just wish they would put out an episode every day. Hmm. Can't get enough. And the hustle is Facebook ads, y'all. Instagram <laughs> ads, right? Yes. Instagram yes. story ads for the win. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I literally just launched some of my own. All you need is, you know, your phone, do a little like boomerang. <laughs> so easy. You don't even have to write ad copy. <laughs> we just had a client or potential client in our inbox say, I just randomly found you on Instagram stories. And I'm like, oh, sweet one. It wasn't random, my dear. It wasn't. <gasps> we just randomly found you? Like how exciting? No, nothing random about that at all. You were targeted. <laughs> It's working. <laughs> We're talking. So that's automation, my friend. Love it. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. It has been wonderful to chat with you. And it's, where can folks find you online? My website, clairepels.com. That's C-L-A-I-R-E-P-E-L-L-S.com. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. It's been my pleasure. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.